I'm glad that you're here this morning. In two weeks, we will have our men's retreat, and I want to encourage all the men in here to sign up. This will be the last day to sign up before the price goes up. Our speaker is Bob Foos, who many of you have spent the summers with in the past. Bob has been a friend of mine for the past 17 years, a great man of God. Uh, Bringing him to the retreat to speak, he's going to be encouraging for you. He's not boring. Uh, For those of you who know him, this is an opportunity. You've you've wanted to have your friends listen to Bob maybe over the summer when you saw him, but now here's your chance. Bring people from the campus uh, to come and, and take part in this retreat. Two weeks. So easy, 30 bucks for uh, the guys in here, $15 for students. It's local. You don't have to go anywhere, sleep in your own bed. I really want to encourage you uh, to come. And if you can't afford it, we have scholarships. So really, if you're in town that weekend, there should be no reason. I'm, I'm giving you no excuses. I uh, really want to encourage you uh, to be there. In fact, it, be there because so far we only do men's retreat uh, once every 10 years. Uh, the last time was 10 years ago, and at our last men's retreat, um, it was in October of, of 2004, and humor must have been different back then than it is today. I was the main speaker at the men's retreat, and we had a brochure. Remember what those are? The brochure papers. And, and inside, uh, I was the main speaker, and it Rather, and it had a picture on the inside of the brochure of the main speaker. And rather than my picture, they had the picture of Donald Trump. I have no idea why. That was the humor back then, I guess. Uh, and as I was anticipating this retreat, uh, I looked back to the last retreat to see what I spoke on 10 years ago. And I thought to myself, hey, I want to talk on that again because... When I spoke at the retreat, I came back on a Sunday morning to share the message with the women as well. That's what Bob will do. And, and I decided I want to do that same message again because most of you weren't here 10 years ago and most of you were still in elementary school, all right? So this is a great opportunity for me to get into the Word of God, the same thing I did 10 years ago. So before we jump in, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, your, your Word is, is active and it's living and it's for all generations. And as you impact generations through your word 10 years ago on the men's retreat, I ask that you would do the same here this morning, that you would encourage us, rebuke us, and show us that joy and, and is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Do a work this morning, Lord. I am begging you right now in Christ's name. Amen. Men generally are guarded. We don't like to share too much. And I would say that women are guarded as well. And if you ever go to a men's retreat or to a women's retreat, the goal is to get people to open up and to share their hearts and to share what's going on. That's what I want to do here this morning. I want you to open up about what's going on in your life. And I'm going to take the first step. I'm going to open up. I'm going to be vulnerable before you. Here it goes. I used to do step aerobics. I'm just saying. For those of you who do not know what step aerobics are, step aerobics, uh, where you have a step in front of you, and 
techno, hip-hop, dance music is playing in the background. You step up, you step down, you dance, you throw a little groove on, a little spin, a little twirl. That's what I used to do. And I used to do it in seminary. I would study theology, and then I would do step aerobics. And to be honest with you, it was just me and all the ladies. Something else I used to do in seminary is something called the Stairmaster. I don't know if it's still called that anymore, the step machine, whatever you call it. I would do this Stairmaster, and for two years in a row, I participated in a competition called I Climbed Mount Everest. They would put a a big picture of Mount Everest on the wall, and the idea was to do the Stairmaster and log your miles as, as they move you up Mount Everest. Once again, just me and the ladies, and I would be at it in the morning and in the afternoon logging my trek up Mount Everest. And my main competitor was another woman. And when it was all said and done, she won the women's division. I won the men's division. (laughs) And over a two-week period, we both climbed Mount Everest twice. That's my claim to fame on the Stairmaster. (laughs) Now, the reason why I did step aerobics in Stairmaster during seminary, was not good. I told you it was me and the ladies, but I I wasn't there to meet girls. I haven't shared this in probably 10 years. The reason why I was doing those things is because I had a problem. I would work out... And then when I was done, I would go and weigh myself. And if I was uh, lower in weight, I felt good. But if I was higher in weight, then I would freak out. In addition, I would alter my eating between binging and fasting. I I was uh, mentally messed up. Medical doctors would have diagnosed uh, my situation, and they have a variety of descriptions for a variety of eating problems. And I'm not going to downplay or dismiss these diagnoses. Even back then, if I went to see a doctor, they would have diagnosed me with something. But at the core of my problem, regardless of the diagnosis, at the core of my problem in my heart was a worship problem. I had a worship disorder. I, I worshipped the way I looked. I worshipped what other people thought about me. I, I worshipped the way exercise made me feel, and I craved that feeling all the time. I, I worshipped the feeling I got when I stuffed my face full of food. I had a worship disorder. And there's a good chance that some of you have come here this morning with a worship problem, a worship disorder. And at the core of your heart is you have a tendency to worship something else and not the Lord. And the terminology the Bible uses over and over again to describe this worship disorder is the terminology of idolatry. Idolatry 
is a common theme throughout the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. And what we're going to do this morning is not going to be fun. We're going to attempt to identify the idols in your heart, and we're going to attempt to deal with them and kick them out, but we want to replace them with joy in the Lord and the Lord alone. And in order to do this, we're going to look at the book of Ezekiel. When's the last time you studied Ezekiel? Let's go ahead and turn to Ezekiel 14. I want to read the text to you before we dive in. So would you mind standing as I read the Word of God? Ezekiel 14, 1 through 11. My guess is this is a very unfamiliar text to you. Then certain of the elders of Israel came to me and sat before me, and the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols, that I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel, who are all estranged from me through their idols. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Repent, and turn away from your idols, and turn away your faces from all your abominations. For any one of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel, who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart, and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. And I will set my face against that man. I will make him a sign and a byword and cut him off from the midst of my people. And you shall know that I am the Lord. And if the prophet is deceived and speaks a word, I, the Lord, have deceived that prophet. And I will stretch out my hand against him and will destroy him from the midst of my people Israel. And they shall bear their punishment. The punishment of the prophet and the punishment of the inquirer shall be alike that the house of Israel may no more go astray from me, nor defile themselves any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people, and I may be their God, declares the Lord God. You may be seated. What's that all about? The setting is Babylon. Why are God's people in Babylon? They were put there because of their idol worship. God is disciplining them, judging them, punishing them, brought them to Babylon. But he didn't leave them alone. He gave them prophets to speak the truth to them, such as Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel gave them words of encouragement, but also judgment and further warning. But the people in Babylon also had false prophets. And the false prophets would say, hey, Just a little bit. You'll be back in Israel. It's almost time to go back to Israel. 
So this captivity is almost over. And Ezekiel comes along, and he's like, do not listen to those false prophets. They are lying. Your captivity is going to last for a while. God is punishing you for your idolatry. Now, we have a little instance here in Ezekiel chapter 14. Because even in exile, there are still leaders of God's people called the elders. The elders come before Ezekiel, and they're hoping for a positive word. They're hoping for a word of encouragement. They're hoping for a word of return. Let's see what happens. Verse 1. Then certain of the elders came to me and sat before me. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, these men have taken their idols into their hearts and set the stumbling block of their iniquity before their faces. Should I indeed let myself be consulted by them? This is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel kind of in private. He's like, you see those guys that are before you? They want a word from me, but they have idols in their hearts. They have set idols before their face, a stumbling block. Now, before we move on, we really have to pause and, and consider this concept of idols in the heart. What does that mean? Idolatry is one of the most dominant themes in the Old Testament to describe sin. And in the Old Testament, idols were made of gold or or wood or a variety of other substances. They were objects that you could touch and see, such as the golden calf. And these idols received loyalty and worship to those who ran after them. There are items in our modern society, though not a golden calf, there there are things that we could classify as an idol in our society, those who receive our worship or idols that control us. Idols could be uh, things like exercise, school, cars, houses, alcohol, sleep, your phone. You could, be, you could have your idol in your pocket right now or holding it in your hand. That could be your idol. TV, gambling, work could be your idol, sports, people. Sex, money, or food. Now, what's interesting is that a lot of these items that I've mentioned are not sinful in and of themselves. There's nothing sinful in and of itself about food or your, or your phone or, or exercise or school or work. It, it just, when it crosses the line, it becomes sinful when you start to have an inordinate desire for it. That's where it becomes a worship disorder where you start worshiping and being controlled by your work or controlled by food or controlled by exercise where it takes the place of God. It becomes a worship disorder. And that could be an idol in your heart. We're not going to blame food, not going to blame exercise because these idols first start in our hearts. One of the greatest quotes I ran across this week is Thomas Cranmer. He says this. He says, whatever the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. That quote has been ringing with me the last three or four days. What my heart loves, I'm going to pick it, 
And then once I pick it, I'm going to justify why I'm doing it. That, that's really good. So the primary problem is, is not with our jobs or the Internet or alcohol or, or money or food. The problem is with our messed up hearts. And how we set our thoughts and desires on expectations of other things besides the Lord. When that happens, it is called a worship disorder. Back to these elders in Babylon. They're before Ezekiel. Let's ask the question, what is the idol of their heart? God says they have an idol in their heart. What is it? Maybe they are settling into the Babylonian culture in the sense of taking on its values and standards. Or maybe their hearts are internally running after the Babylonian gods. Or maybe they want to go back to Israel. They want their idols that they had back in Israel. We don't know what exactly the idols of their hearts. We don't know exactly the idol they're setting before their face. But God is very clear. They had a serious worship problem. Let's see what God's going to do. Look at verse 4. Therefore speak to them and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Any one of the house of Israel who takes his idols into his heart and sets the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face and yet comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will answer him as he comes with the multitude of his idols. They're coming to the prophet and they want a word of encouragement. And God's like, let's talk about your idols. How about that for a word of encouragement? Sometimes we come to the Lord in prayer and say, God, I just want to know what to do with my future. Where should I move? What should I do once I graduate? And God's like, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about that. Too many times when we have idols in our heart, we want to talk to God about things he doesn't want to talk about. Before we start talking about these other things about your future and what God's will is for your life, God's like, let's first deal with this idol in your heart. You want encouragement, but let's deal with this first. Look at verse 7. Jump down to 7. For any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who separates himself from me, taking his idols into his heart and putting the stumbling block of his iniquity before his face, and yet comes to a prophet to consult me through him, I, the Lord, will answer him myself. And I will set my face against that man. I will make him a sign and a byword and cut him off in the midst of my people. And you shall know that I am the Lord. If someone's coming to the Lord and say, God, I want to know your will. I want a word of encouragement. And yet there's idols in the heart. God's like, I'm going to bring my judgment. I'm going to bring my discipline. And right here, he talks about cutting them off. Maybe they're cast out of the Israelite community. Uh, maybe God's going to kill them. Maybe that's the form of judgment and discipline that is uh, mentioned here for a divided allegiance. These Israelites are going to become an example of what happens to those who persist in idol worship. But what does God do with us? If we come to the Lord, we show up here this morning, we have idols in our heart. Is he going to start hacking you? Is he going to kill you? Is he going to put you to death? Maybe. Happened a little bit in the New Testament, right? Book of Acts mentions that. Book of Corinthians mentions that. But on a whole, if you've come here this morning for worship, 
with a divided allegiance, a worship disorder, chances are that the way God will get your attention, make sure you listen very clearly here, the way God will get your attention is through discipline. As a loving father, he disciplines his children. If you find yourself as a child of God not being disciplined, chances are you are not a child of God. Listen to what the book of Hebrews says about discipline. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If we have a worship disorder, a divided allegiance, chances are God is going to discipline us through pain, through suffering, Now, I'm not saying that all the suffering in your life has a direct correlation to idol worship. I'm not saying that. But chances are there is a lot of pain and suffering maybe in your life because you have a worship disorder. And this is one of the most important things I'm going to say this morning. Please get it. The elders are coming before the Lord, and they're suffering. They want a word of encouragement. They want to get out of their suffering. The Lord's like, no, I want to show you why you're suffering. I know you want your suffering alleviated. It's because you have a root problem of idolatry. Some of us come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I want to not feel this pain anymore. Please alleviate my suffering. And God's like, you're suffering because of the consequences of your idolatry, and you want me to take away the consequences while you stay in your idolatry? God doesn't work like that with his children. He loves us. He's like, let's deal with that. Let's deal with that idolatry. Let's go right to your heart and deal with the idols of your heart. But why does he do it? Why does God deal with our worship disorder? And we come to my favorite verse in this whole chapter. This is my favorite verse. Look at verse 5. I love this. That I may lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are all estranged from me through their idols. I'm going to show you the NIV version for those of you who may have that. Let me put this on the screen for you. I will do this to recapture the hearts of the people of Israel who have all deserted me for their idols. I love that. The reason why God disciplines his people, do you see it, is to recapture their hearts. That that is wonderful. God wants our total allegiance. He wants our absolute commitment. He will put the pressure on to recapture our hearts. Why does he do this? Well, Part of it is rooted in who he is. He's a jealous God. For example, in in Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Our God is a jealous God. He wants absolute and complete allegiance to himself. And when we are stepping outside of that in a worship disorder, he will come after us as a loving father and say, look, I want you for myself. I don't want you branching out beyond me for your happiness ultimately. It's in me. So not only does he discipline us because he is a jealous God, but he also disciplines us because guess what? You and I 
will find no greater joy and happiness than in God himself. Jump down to verse 11. Look at verse 11. That the house of Israel may no more go astray from me, nor defile themselves any more with all their transgressions, but that they may be my people and I may be their God, declares the Lord God. Similar statements like that are made 60 times in the book of Ezekiel. The Lord wants a people for himself. He does not want them running after idols. He wants them for himself. And it is only in God can we find complete happiness and satisfaction. My brothers and sisters, I know we don't like this, but we should praise God when he disciplines us. We should praise God when he disciplines us for straying. Because he is bringing us back to the only place where we can find complete joy and happiness, and it's in himself. Years ago, for those of you who ever listened to Cademan's Call, there is a band back in the day, Christian band. They have this line in a song that says something like this, that you have created nothing that gives me more pleasure than you. God has created nothing that is going to give us more pleasure than in himself. And when we start to branch out and think, you know what, there's got to be something out there more that's going to give me more happiness than God, then we start running and creating things, making them idols. That's when the worship disorder happens. That's when the flip happens. And God's like, no, come back to me. Come back to me. There's nothing in all creation that's going to give you more joy than in myself. There is this psalm that we're going to sing here in a little bit, the psalm. Many of you have uh, known it from the, the 90s, you know, as the deer song. It comes from um, Psalm 42.1, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. Do you find that to be true in your life, that you are so desperate for God, that you're panting after him? And if you say, nope, that's not the case, it's because chances are you're panting after something else. And that's a worship disorder. And God will put the pressure on you because he loves you. He's a jealous God. He wants to recapture your heart. And he does it because you will find no greater joy than in himself alone. So what should you do? What are you supposed to do if you find yourself steep in idolatry? You know it. You're not going to tell me right now, but chances are many of you have flipped your love for the Lord and you're now worshiping something else above him. What do you do? It's, don't be surprised. Here it is, verse 6. It's very clear what you do. Verse 6. Therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, repent. Repent. And turn away from your idols. And turn away your faces from all your abominations. There it is. There's a way out. It's called repentance. And I've demonstrated it before. It's not a hard concept. If this is your idol and you're moving toward your idol, repentance is not this. Oh, I feel so bad. I feel terrible. I feel so guilty. That's not repentance. Oh, I got to go talk to someone about this. I feel so bad. Maybe they can help me feel better. That's not repentance. Repentance in the Bible is this. I am walking toward my idol. 
I turn around and I start walking away from it toward the Lord. That's repentance. Repentance is not feeling bad this morning. If you're feeling bad right now because you know you have a worship disorder and you feel terrible about it, what good does that do? Don't you want forgiveness? Don't you want joy in Jesus? If you're walking toward an idol, repentance is turning all the way around. And when you turn around in repentance, you will find forgiveness. You know why? Because Jesus Christ died for idolaters. The Apostle Paul said he is the chief of sinners. I'll take on that claim for myself. I'm the chief of sinners. I am the chief of idolaters. Jesus Christ died for idolaters. He came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and on the cross, can you believe this? On the cross, he is shedding his blood for your idolatry. God's wrath is being poured out on Jesus because you are an idol worshiper. And if you acknowledge that, confess that, repent of that, you will find forgiveness as he is buried and raised again to forgive idol worshipers. And that is all of us. And that forgiveness comes through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And I would say even once you become a believer, once you are forgiven of your idol worship in Jesus, you and I both know that we have a tendency after we have turned around and start walking away from our idol, you and I have a tendency to rethink that decision. Yeah? Like, huh, I kind of missed that. (laughs) And maybe we'll turn around and go after a different idol. Uh, John Calvin said the heart is an idol factory. We're constantly producing these idols. We'll switch one for another one. Uh, Our hearts just want to go there naturally. That's where they're bent But there's something encouraging happens when you become a believer. You get a different heart and a different spirit. And I want to encourage you that no matter how steeped you feel, how impossible it may feel to get out of your idol worship, there is hope because something supernatural has happened to you. And that is laid out in the book of Ezekiel as well. Let me put it up on the screen. Ezekiel 11.19. God says, I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I'll remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. If you are a believer in Jesus, that has happened to you. Your hard heart of stone has been removed. You now have a malleable heart of flesh that's sensitive and soft to God. And now you have the Holy Spirit put in you where you have power actually to continue to turn away from your idols. In addition to that, you have something called the body of Christ. There are brothers and sisters in here that are here to encourage you and build you up in Jesus because we all struggle with this worship disorder. And we're having the men's retreat here in two weeks, and you're going to be sitting next to men who are steeped in worship disorders. Some of them have come out of it. Some of them are struggling right now. And there is freedom, and there is encouragement. And, and I just want to tell you, just kind of let you in on a little, little scoop, little inside here. One of the reasons why we're doing this men's retreat, this men's retreat, because there is, 
an obvious worship disorder among the men in our church. Last year, over the winter, we met as elders, and we talked about this, this habitual idol worship among a lot of the men in our church, and that's the sin of sexual morality, often played out with pornography. I was reading this past week in David Platt's new book that pornography on campus, secular campus, about 90% of the men are involved. That's high. 80% of the men are involved in Christian campuses. And you may think this has nothing to do with you, but it is very prevalent in our congregation. I would say it is at such a crisis level. It is such a high level of crisis that is hindering you from, from so many things God wants to do in your life. You just have a skewed view of sex. You cannot engage on mission. You cannot engage service. Things are just messed up in your mind and in your heart because you are locked into sexual morality. And we are doing this retreat to give you hope that you can be free. And I will tell my testimony until I die. That I know what you're feeling. I've been caught up in sexual morality. My teen years, steeped in sexual morality, steeped in pornography. Got saved at 19. Repented of my sin. But you know what? That sexual morality had some remnants that were just sticking around. But now that I was saved, I felt terrible about it. I felt convicted about it. I hated it. Before I was a believer, I didn't hate it at all. Then I hated it, and I want to turn away from it. And I am not making this up by God's grace, by His power. Enable me to leave it, to turn around, to step away from pornography, from sexual morality. This is no joke, not making this up. You may think that freedom is impossible. It is, it is possible through the blood of Jesus, the power of his spirit, the encouragement of his people. Guys, you do not have to stay defeated. Do not think this is going to be your lot in life. And I also want you to think, well, this is just something you'll deal with while you're single, and then once you're married, it will go away. It won't. It won't go away. You've got to deal with this now, single or married. And you don't just turn away from pornography. You turn away from pornography to Christ. He will give you greater joy. The, the, the issue that was pressing upon me that really brought it up. I remember specifically, it's my junior year. It's in the spring. I am battling. I am fighting. God, help me. I want to turn away from this. It all came down to one simple question for me. Am I going to please myself or am I going to please God? And that is a worship disorder question. It is a worship question. Am I going to please myself or am I going to please God? Where will I get greater joy? 
And by his grace and his power, the answer is, I am going to please God. My brothers, let me encourage you. My sisters, let me encourage you. God is out to recapture your heart. He will not let you stay there. He is out to recapture your heart. Whatever you're into, that you're worshiping over him, he's out to recapture your heart. Let us pray. Lord, I just ask that the men that are here today feeling hopeless, that right now you give them hope. This is not their battle alone. You are intentionally involved to recapture in their hearts. For the same in here for the women who have a variety of idols as well, that you're out to recapture their hearts. And you're not just trying to take them into neutral, into a world of nothingness. You're trying to bring them into the greatest joy ever. Lord, forgive us for messing around, trying to find joy outside of you. And may we not just be content to feel like junk right now or to feel terrible right now or just to feel guilty right now. May we not be content with that, just that worldly sorrow that leads to death. May we have godly repentance. Like, no, we really want you, God. We really want you. We're going to find our joy in Christ. May we not just sit here feeling bad and guilty. May we just turn to you for forgiveness and grace and realize there is absolute and complete joy in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Continue to do this work of recapturing our hearts and do it now. In Jesus' name.